interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Octopus of the Monster House Band. Many thanks to you, Mr. Crack Octopus. The Monster Cast certainly appreciates you. I am Rob138. This is episode three of the Man Made Monster Cast. And I am here with my personal fake shemp, Papa Snake. Hello there. What's up, buddy? We will get into the fake shemps. We gotta have a whole <laughs> segment devoted yes, we do. <laughs> to the fake shams. Happy to be back. I'm happy to have you back. So yeah, you <laughs> uh, the kaiju cast is a thing now. <laughs> yep. I almost wore a Godzilla shirt for that, but I felt this was a little bit more fitting for today. Nice. Nice. Yeah. There's only a little bit of musical. I seen it once in New York and once in Baltimore. Nice, nice. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just uh, kaiju cast, it's a thing now. Um Ooh. It is a, it's a thing, I guess. <laughs> Once again, uh, I want to thank Beth, who uh, designed our Frankie logo, also also designed uh, Togagi, the the our personal kaiju. Um, yeah, so that that happened. Um, as all of you can see, I'm not wearing a neck brace or anything like that because I didn't have surgery. Um, without getting too far into it, there were some issues, and I'm currently trying to figure those out. That's all I got there. Um, well, we're happy you're alive. Well, <laughs> that's why I didn't have the surgery because it very much could have gone the opposite direction. So, right. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about this, but I feel like uh, you had mentioned to me uh, earlier this week, if not last week, you've got some 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 movie news on your part. Yep. Yeah, we can talk about that. So. Uh... I don't want to go too far into details because nothing's set in stone yet, but uh, talks for Territory 3 are in motion. Um, Kevin Kangas had met with myself and Dan Duran, the original three creators of Territory 1, and um, he sent me the first 14 pages of the script. The script is currently done. It's really hinging on a few actors and actresses coming back. I will have to be stepping back uh, on full-time effects on that because of a uh, my kids and childcare and time life, but um, I will definitely be involved. I'll be uh, hopefully producing like I did before. Um, definitely will be on set. But if we do this, it's going to be a nine day straight shoot, which uh, most of us don't have the ability to do in the indie. Right, but, right, right. Um, there's some really cool effects planned. Um, again, there's gonna be a lot of familiar faces if you're familiar with the first two films, which I'm really excited to work with some of these people again, if we can get them back. And uh, yeah, um, we've been talking about some different things film-wise, you and I, uh, I've had some ideas that I've been toying with, uh, basically doing shorts, but this kind of came out of the blue and I'm honestly, frankly excited for it, so. I'd rather do pants. I'm sorry? 
I would rather do pants as opposed to shorts. Touche. I'm here all week. <laughs> Try the veal. So territory. Um, that was very dry. <laughs> where can we? It was designed to be so, sir. Um, where can we find the first two territories? Are they able to be streamed online at the moment? They are streaming uh, free on Tubi. Ooh. Yeah. So if you have access to Tubi, which I mean anybody should, because it's a free app, it's really decent. Um, you can see it on there. You can rent and/or purchase it off of Amazon physically and digitally. Um, we are on. We are in a lot of countries now. I couldn't even tell you the number. Uh, Kevin got us hooked up with an aggregator last year that uh, expanded our footprint, which is really nice. So, you know, I think that's part of what really has pushed for part three is uh, Kevin has an idea that he wants to finish. Um, It was never really meant to be a trilogy, but once we started working on two, it just felt right to make it three. So, you know, but this would be good because this would be like a nice, solid bring it together and ending for it. Um, but yeah, check it out. Um, leave some reviews. I don't care if it's one star or five stars. It's all good. Cool, man. You'll notice we have a lot of one stars. Cool. I would, uh, <laughs> uh, well, so do most indie movies. People, um, you know, I think it's a lot of people are just so mm, expectant or into the, uh, like the tentpole blockbuster major studio stuff on streaming services that even when they get a, a halfway decent to good quality, that's not to say that territory is halfway decent to good quality. It's not what I'm saying. Um, a film like that, they just immediately write it off because, oh, the, the effects aren't as good. I vividly recall a conversation I had with a, uh, an old bandmate in my first band uh, when we discussed the Zack Snyder remake of Dawn of the Dead and George A. Romero's Dawn of the Dead, both films I love. Um, not a fan of running zombies, never will be. But he just swore up and down that the remake was better than the original because the effects look better. And I'm like, that doesn't make it a better flick. Nope. And the same conversation I had with somebody recently, too, about how gore doesn't make scary. You know, there's something about the old 70s and 80s horror slasher, everything. It's the tone. It's the music. It's the lighting. It's the angles. You know, I hate to say it. It always comes up. But Rob Zombie's Halloween versus regular Halloween, original Halloween, uh, John Carter's 1978. The zombie wanted to be in your face and just really, you know, balls to the wall. And I respect it. You know, I don't dislike the, the, his first remake. However, the tone wasn't there. That, that thing that makes you feel like Michael could be right here while you're watching it isn't there. You know, and that's the, that's the thing. And going back to the low budget, you know, nobody wants to take in consideration what we put into it when it happens. I mean, you look at these reviews and it's the keyboard jockeys, you know, oh, I could do a better film than that. Do it. Right. You know? Well, it's it's funny that, uh, not to cut you off, it's funny that you mentioned, you know, the low budget the and the gore and the um, the camera angles, the, the lighting, just the entire style of movie. And the movie that we're doing today just checks all of those boxes. Yeah. Um, so before we get into that, uh, let's just hop straight into sharing is scaring. I, I I still don't have a, I need to get a thing that does that for me. And it's not just me looking like an asshole or sounding like an asshole. Anyway, we're, we're into the segment. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I've been not watching a lot of horror lately, like where I can. This has been a busy couple of weeks, but uh, a couple of things that piqued my interest is I Saw the Jurassic World Dominion dinosaur like viral video encounter thing drop, and it's really cool. Um, 
I'm going to check it out. We talked about uh, when we talked about Stan Winston on the pumpkin head episode, you know, us mm. being dinosaur kids and whatnot. Um, I'm interested to see it. I didn't like uh, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom at all, really. <laughs> so I, I don't have my hopes high for this, but I think it is a unique take with dinosaurs right. being in the real world. Keeping with the dinosaur theme, I also saw, I don't know if you saw the prehistoric, uh, prehistoric planet series coming to Apple TV. Yes, looking forward to that too. That looks really, really good. If not yes. uh, a little creative, it looks like it takes some liberties with some dinosaur designs, which I guess you probably could do considering, you know, we weren't alive to see them. Well, yes and no, but being a dinosaur guy and not even just a dinosaur kid, I still follow it very closely. Science has fast forward so much mm -hmm. you know in the last five ten years versus so you know we us growing up in the 80s 90s most of the dinosaur books we had in our school libraries were from the 60s and 70s i still have a lot of the ones that i had when i was a kid so they're if they were already dated in the 80s they're dated so much more because of that so a lot of the designs that we were looking at when we were a kid were 20 30 year old designs you know and a lot of stuff, you know, with digital uh, 3D printing, um, digital scans, sonar, x-ray, they've been able to actually recreate in internals of skulls to see brain shapes. And, you know, I'm not trying to sound like in Jurassic Park when there's a resonant chamber, but it is true. They can actually look at the nasal passages and see, holy shit, the olfactory glands, glands of the T-Rex must have been humongous. Hence why in the first Jurassic Park, when he's looking at Lex and uh, Alan Grant, he would have just he would have smelled them. There would have been even if even if he couldn't see, which or she couldn't see, which again they're saying that T. Rex's eyesight was most likely that of an eagle. It was one of the few dinosaurs that had binocular vision. So a couple things about uh like the dinosaur books when we were kids, they uh they still hold up today, man. In terms of being the well maybe not today, but in the early two thousands still they were still the pinnacle mm. of all information for dinosaurs. The reason why I say this oh, yeah. is I don't know if you're familiar with any of the uh, Heisei era Godzilla movies, the like the versus ones like Destroya and, and shit like mm -hmm. that. Um, I only say that because, and spoiler for Kaiju Cast, I'm doing the Godzilla, or the Return of Godzilla, and I noticed Thanks. this, and apparently this is a theme in a lot of those old monster movies and even the early 2000s. These scientists are looking at kids' books with dinosaurs. Huh? That is awesome. <laughs> Did not realize it. Yeah, if you really watch, it's like my first dinosaur some shit. That's funny. Um, also, I don't know if you saw us both liking dinosaurs, dinosaurs, ancient enemy of mankind. That's a joke that some people will get. <laughs> um, there's an exhibit coming to the zoo, uh, I believe, yep. Baltimore Zoo soon. So I, I really want to check that out. But yeah, well, it's funny because today is my daughter's seventh birthday. So happy birthday. Zoe. Happy birthday. Peace. And um, every year we go to the Washington Zoo and our, my friend Terry was like, oh, are you going to go see the dinosaurs? Ancient enemy of mankind? Like, I was like, there's dinosaurs at the zoo? She goes, yeah. She thought I was talking about the Baltimore Zoo. We we're going to the Washington Zoo. So oh, talk, okay. about, talk about me get excited and then let down. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, so uh that's one of the reasons we're recording this so early is uh we will be leaving here at an early time to hit down to DC. So gotcha. Beat all that traffic. Yes. Um, so I guess we'll we'll speed along. Other cool thing for me is the the new album from the Church of the Cosmic Skull dropped and um I don't think I've talked to you about this band. I'm really into them. Very, uh, very cult-like vibe, 70s, okay. Floyd kind of uh, Black Sabbath. Love it. Um, May 13th, Shin Ultraman dropped. I'll probably talk more about that on the Kaiju cast, though. Um, really want to see it. It'll probably eventually, I mean, it's eventually going to be the U.S. release, like Shin Godzilla did. Um, probably not the wait like nine months for it. 
Um, I'm going to save my last thing for this to get into the topic at hand, but I'm going to throw it over to you real quick. What has been scaring you, Stanky? So scaring? Um, actually, we've watched the show Candy on the limited series Candy on Hulu. It is about the axe murder of Betty Gore back in 1980 by Candy. She was having an affair with Betty Gore's husband, Alan, and um, there was a huge trial. It was it was kind of like an early O.J. Simpson kind of thing. Like, obviously, you didn't have it in national news as much as it was like local, but it was that scandal with who did what. And she ended up actually, I will not spoil it for you unless you already know the uh, unless you know the outcome. But, I'm not familiar. But it's a great show. Uh, Jessica Biel plays Candy. I'm in. Justin Timberlake actually plays the cop. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> it's it is funny as hell. And um, I can't think of the actor's name. It, it just eluded me. Um, Porn Stash from uh, Orange is the New Black. I don't I don't watch Orange is the New Black, but <laughs> no idea. He's playing Master Chief in the new Halo. Um, also haven't watched that. Meh. But uh, he play, he plays he plays Alan. Uh, we did try watching this foreign movie called The Privilege, which it was dubbed, and I'm pretty sure the overdubbing dialogue was not what they were really saying. Oh, I hate when that happens. Yeah, because uh, the reactions, either the actors just were that bad, or the reactions did not match the dialogue. And we turned it off after about 15 minutes because it just, it was not enjoyable. Uh, on the flip side, though, we watched one called Hypnotic, which uh, called, uh, stars Katie Siegel from Hush, Hill, uh, Hill House, Mike Flanagan's wife badass thriller really good um get you to question some things about hypnosis doctors and highly highly enjoyed that one. see that i'd be into i'll probably have to check that out that's on hulu netflix netflix okay yeah so there you go netflix original i think it just came out last year or this year and um non-movie horror uh we went to aew two weeks ago nice yes that was a hell of a lot of fun uh we went and saw offspring and all that remains okay so offspring I've been listening to since middle school. Most people, when I told them that, that I was going to Offspring, like, no, you listen to Offspring. I'm like, who doesn't? Offspring is one of those bands that whether you like punk, pop punk, metal, rock, rap, some of their songs are just radio hit bangers that you can't not bob your head to. It's like saying you don't listen to Metallica. Right. Like they're, they've, they've kind of transcended their own genre and just mm -hmm. kind of they're, uh, I mean, call them they're, they're a legendary band at this point. Oh, yeah. And that was the thing, you know, Offspring pushing pushing 60 years old most of the band they still ripped it was a it was one of the most fun shows i've ever been to cool and then uh we did uh all that remains it was the 15th anniversary of the fall of ideal show uh, uh album drop uh they played straight through fall of ideals which was their uh, technically third album second uh major release uh back when they were much much heavier more death metalcore gotcha um but dude that show fucking ripped the only downside was everything was backlit and it was all strobe oh Oh, it, Megan had to stand behind me because it gave her a headache. Oh, boy. Yeah. What brought us to the dance is the release of Saber Interactive's Evil Dead video game that came out on May 13th. Um, don't know if you've played it yet. I have not. I have been playing it. Mm -hmm. It is... I, at first, I thought it was incredibly difficult until I started, until I started learning certain mechanics of the game because some things felt like they were broken, but they're really not... Mm -hmm. You got to really get the timing. The, the single player campaign stuff is just unforgiving and difficult. And I don't know whether I hate that or love it, but I think it's a great game. I think it's a great game. Looking forward to the DLC stuff. I know that, I don't know if it was leaked or they announced it, but part of the first DLC pack is a new map. It's uh, Castle Kandar from 
Army of Darkness. Nice. So that was that's what brought us here. But what, what did you what did you do? Did you pop and buy it there, buddy? I ordered I ordered it this morning. It'll be here Tuesday. Nice. And I got it on Xbox, so we can play. Nice. Well, it's cross-platform completely. So I was. Oh, okay. Well, yep. I still I still got it on Xbox. So um. Now, did you get the super awesome edition, or did you just get the bare bones? Because uh, super awesome comes with like gallant knight ash and all kinds of stuff. And if you like were insane and spent two hundred dollars on it, you got a really awful Tom Savini version of Ash. I didn't know buy anything special that I didn't even see the uh, special edition to be honest. But it's all right. If the you know if the DLC is worth it, I'll pick it up. Groovy. So, um, just in case there's a change in audio quality, I will do my best to edit that. But apparently Zoom has made a change to their terms of service and whatnot, and it just cut us mid-meeting, so we had to start a new meeting. So, bear with us. With that said, you did order the Evil Dead video game, which is awesome. Correct. Looking forward to playing with you. That's going to be the segue. <laughs> <laughs> um, today's movie is The Evil Dead. So do a little bit of info dump here for you released in 1981 the evil dead tells a story of a small group of friends that stay in a secluded cabin in the woods that are killed one by one after they unwittingly release an ancient demon the film was written and directed by sam raimi produced by raimi rob tappard and star bruce campbell with a budget of three hundred seventy-five thousand dollars, the film grossed 2.4 million domestically and between 2.7 and 29.4 million worldwide and it is considered a groundbreaking film in the horror genre. The film was based on a proof of concept short that Raimi wrote, directed, produced in 1978 called Within the Woods. The short starred Bruce Campbell as well as his Evil Dead co-star Ellen Sandwich. Within the Woods had a budget of $1,600, big time, big budget, and Raimi convinced the local theater manager to screen the film alongside the Rocky Horror Picture Show. The film screened relatively well, well enough that Raimi decided he wanted to film a full-length remake, estimated that he would need over $100,000. Mm-hmm. To generate funds, Raimi reached out to his friend Phil Gillis, who was, in fact, not impressed with Within the Woods, but he did offer legal advice as he was a lawyer as to how to produce the film. So after generating enough funds to begin the project, though not the amount he had originally attended, at 21 years of age, Sam Raimi set out to film what was initially called The Book of the Dead, which was inspired by his love of H.P. Lovecraft. Right. Something that he and I share. (laughs) Um, Raimi asked several friends to assist in the making of The Evil Dead. These included Tapper, with a producing credit, Campbell, and Sandwich. Joining the Mm -hmm. cast would be Richard DeManicor as Scotty, Betsy Baker as Linda, Teresa Tilly as Shelley, Tom Sullivan, a friend who bonded with Raimi over their mutual love of stop motion and claymation effects, would be brought on to compose the effects. In a July 2014 article from Tested.com, Sullivan stated, quote, I was doing everything I could do to enhance what was in the script, even though Sam wasn't asking for it. The most obvious example was the Book of the Dead. In the script, it was described as having some kind of animal skin, which I took to be leather, and a few letters from an ancient alphabet on the cover. I said, Sam, is this the book of evil? It should be something that looks so evil you don't even want to pick it up. Tell me a little bit about Tom Sullivan. All right, Tom Sullivan, which I kept saying Tim Sullivan because I actually worked with one back in the day at Alvin Tractor. That is not him. <laughs> I, I'm fully aware of that. Tom Sullivan um, went to Michigan State with uh, Ramey, met his wife Penny there. Um, he's mainly known for the effects, stop motion animation, art direction, the list goes on. He has so many credits in the first Evil Dead, but Evil Dead 1 and 2, Army of Darkness, 
uh, worked on a lot of Raimi's early uh, shorts, um, obviously within the woods, as you stated, uh, the biggest, I wouldn't say the biggest, but probably the most known outside of Army of Darkness would be The Fly 2. He's done some acting, but uh, his main thing and passion, I think, nowadays is mostly illustration. Um, he's a self-taught makeup artist. He used Don Dollar's Cinemagic Brilliant FX magazine and course and stage makeup book to learn a lot of the tricks of the trade. He was also known, especially on the first Evil Dead, helping with camera rigs, stunt contraptions, and just pretty much he was a grip handyman, everything that you could possibly think of on set. He was just kind of that all-around guy. Uh, but the thing, again, as you stated, he's specifically responsible for the final design of the Necronomicon, which is funny because he does the uh, con circuit now. And one of the things that he does is he produces collectible Necronomicon books that he can that you can purchase that look like the one from the film. But he did a lot of things that were just for the time and for the budget, very, you know, state of the art, um, adding things to stuff that was already tried and true. Like uh, his, his blood was kerosene, as typical, you know, with red and blue food coloring added, but uh, he was known to add non-dairy creamer to it to thicken it, make it pop more on screen. But also he added coffee grounds that gave it a different consistency to give it something that just looked unnatural. As you said, he was big on stop motion animation. He was, him and Remy both were very uh, inspired by Harryhausen. Um, he went as far as using 2% milk for spewing out of the mouth just to make things look different. You say different, I say gross, which is well, awesome. I love it. This is true. Gross, different. For one, they were trying to beat the ratings board. So uh, he per specifically used white, green, black, and bright blue opposed to just red for a lot of the fluids. Uh, but the ratings board didn't go for it because it was still fluids coming out of orifices and wounds. So, Spoiler alert, uh, definitely didn't fly in the UK as it definitely made the um, infamous video nasties. Right. Uh, but yeah, they, they did so many different things. Um, working with different people's makeup designs, uh, just he was, he was a jack of all trades. He loved what he did. Um, it's a shame that he kind of fell off and doesn't do it much anymore. Um, I did read in one interview, but I tried to find more information on it, that he lost his passion after his wife passed away. Mm. Um, and that's why he kind of went more into the illustrating uh, con circuit just to kind of still do things, be prominent. But again, I don't want to say that that's fact, but. Yeah, I would, I would say everybody listening, just take up a grain of salt. Mm hmm. So beyond that, the film was shot on 16 millimeter, was later stretched to 35 millimeters since 16 millimeter was all they could afford. And it was done on a rented camera. The entire crew was really inexperienced and made what Campbell would call in his 2002 biography, If Chins Could Kill, Confessions of a B-Movie Actor. Uh, he would call it a comedy of errors. The first day of filming saw the entire crew get lost in the woods. Uh, I believe it was at the bridge scene. Mm -hmm. And there were multiple injuries throughout the entire production. But speaking of the production, let's talk about some fake shimps. Yes. Woo. So I think we all know that Sam Raimi is a huge Three Stooges fan. Clearly. Keeping in line with his love of the Three Stooges, and basically due to crew members not being willing to stay on the entire production, whether that be how rolling the shoot was or just Sam Raimi's sheer sadism. <laughs> and also, if it also took approximately three years to shoot. Mm, yeah. So yeah. every time they every time they ran out of budget, they had to go back, raise more money. And for one, they would cut their hair, shave, dress up in suits to look more professional. Right. And go and go and try to get money. 
and then they'd have to wait until everything kind of grew back to where it was, or at least as close to it was. That's why you can tell, especially with Scotty, his hair changes a lot throughout the yeah. movie. <laughs> so with that said, Sam would employ fake shemp. So what exactly is a fake shemp? Well, I'll tell you. A fake shemp is basically a stand-in, somebody that's used in place of the actor who either cannot or will not reprise their role. Ramey coined the phrase in honor of Shemp Howard of the Three Stooges who died in 1955. The fake shemp technique, though not called the fake shemp technique at the time, was used to finish the films that Shemp Howard had already committed to. Um, so who's the f- most famous fake shemp, in my opinion? Jeffrey Wiseman. Uh, he played George McFly in Back to the Future Part Two. Under a lot of makeup. Ironically, it was this portrayal that caused the end of the fake shemps in Hollywood as Crispin Glover filed a lawsuit with 20th Century Fox, which determined that it violates the actor's personality rights. This resulted in the fake shemp process being explicitly banned by the Screen Actors Guild unless given permission by the actors. Yeah, that was a creepy portrayal. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big Back to the Future mark, so... No, I, I, no, I know that's what I'm saying. But uh, seeing them try their best to mimic his makeup was a different. Oh, it was just. It was, I mean, he got the mannerisms pretty well. Yeah, I think that's part yeah. of the reason why I was hanging upside down too. So you just weren't focused on his face. Touche. I have seen the dark shadows moving in the woods, and I have no doubt that whatever I have resurrected through this book is sure to come calling for me. No, it was the woods themselves. They're alive, your girlfriend you take care of her Evil Dead. Right away, we get a sense of dread and foreboding, as well as some groundbreaking filmmaking. Yes. Uh, in an interview with Eli Roth, Quentin Tarantino once said of Evil Dead, quote, okay, a new shooting style had been developed and everything else looked old-fashioned by comparison. Every single thing just seemed old-fashioned and dated unless you were doing that. Nice. Which I think pretty much sums up Evil Dead, man. Oh, yeah. I mean, I know we're just getting into the movie here, but it just starts with such a, what the hell am I looking at if you're not familiar with, you know, filmmaking? Right. It's a movie of angles. It's a movie of color. It's a movie of 
of different just everything i mean that's it everything is just yeah well and, and it, the best part was it was all because of budget it wasn't yeah. necessarily because he was like i want to i'm standing out to do this it's well how can we do this on a budget we have happy accidents exactly so we cut to the gang riding in the delta uh, well i think we all know the delta um mm-hmm. everyone's pretty happy they're singing ask it's ask for directions and they almost get into a head-on collision uh, Scotty blames the steering wheel, which uh, I believe you pointed out to me that it actually jerks to the left, but the car just goes straight. Yeah, it's a very hard jerk to the left. It jerks out of his hands and you just see it turn, but they cut back to the car just going straight towards the truck. And the best part, too, is, is they're on a dirt road and you hear tires squealing as it's driving on asphalt. You can't do that. Yeah, <laughs> you can't do fun. that. Um, anyway, they honk as they, they drive by Sam Raby and Rob Tappert. Yep. Um, the gang comment on how cheap the cabin is and it, how it might be nice. And I think about this scene every time I go on to like vacation into the mountains. Um, mm. Just this past October, me and some buddies got a cabin up in the mountains of West Virginia. And I was thinking about this ride the whole time. That's well, granted, I was in a Nissan Rogue, not a Delta, but, you know, semantics. That's where you feel. <laughs> the approach <laughs> to the cabin, I think, is really, really cool. The banging mm-hmm. of like the swinging bench over the awesome, like, I think that's just like some synth sound effect mm-hmm. is just like, everything's really foreboding uh, about right. just the entire approach to the cabin. Also, that's that's a heavy-ass swing. Don't worry about that. Made of wood. It's real sturdy. Um, Scotty approaches the cabin. Everyone just kind of stays by the Delta and stares at him ominously for some reason. He gets the key from above the door and the bench stops. I really liked that. And another thing that I really enjoy that I feel like should be employed more is it's not the first key drives mm. open the door. It's like, it's realistic, right? So he's got this key ring. How many times right. have you had a key ring and the first key you try is the one you need? Fucking never. <laughs> never happens that way. So most films would have been like first key. So he enters the cabin and it's pretty smoky in there. Yeah, and that effect was actually done by Robert T- Rob Tapert sitting off to the side of the camera and blowing smoke, smoking a cigarette, blowing the smoke in front of the camera. Oh. I mean, smoking's bad, but if you can get the effect, you can get the effect, right? Okay. What, do what you got to do. Uh, I really, really, really like the music while Scotty is looking around the cabin, and I had a note here as to wondering who did the sound design and i actually pulled it up in preference in a preparation i'm sorry preparation mm-hmm. uh of this and it was joseph loduca um i believe all right and he's got credits on like xena and army of darkness and you know okay. the normal stuff that the Raimi crew would do right so now it's nighttime cheryl's drawing the clock which suddenly stops and chimes I think this might be the first instance of the the Raimi tight cuts right. in the movie. I think so. I don't think you really saw that before this. Which you know, that's say you didn't see that anywhere in the film before mm-hmm. this. I mean, it became so prevalent and such a, a hallmark and stable for Sam Raimi that you know you went up seeing it in Spider Man. I remember right. Alfred Molina becoming Doctor Octopus was all that like mm-hmm. that scene where he attacks everybody. Right. We get the first instance of join us, and Cheryl starts to draw a uh, rendition of the Necronomicon that I feel like a four year old could probably do better. 
And then the seller hatch starts shaking. Now, there's, there's something that if you really pay attention to this, you'll notice when she's drawing the Necronomicon. Mm-hmm. And it's, as many times I've seen this movie, watching it this time was one of the first ones. I don't know if maybe it was a higher quality, uh, you know, remaster or whatnot. But uh, Cheryl's hand, when you're doing the over-shoulder shots, actually has gray and veiny makeup on it, uh, insinuating possession of the hand. Uh, but when she you cut to the front, it's just her normal hand. Uh, again, these go back to a lot of the continuity errors that happened due to time constraint budget and just everything. But two, it was a nice little thing because uh, he employed a lot of that. And again, because I, as many times I've seen Evil Dead, I was paying more attention to the makeup this time. And a lot of it does change over time, not just because of continuity and issues and budget, but uh, um, Sullivan actually went and did it more and more and more each time to show the possession taking more effect and more over the body. So I thought that was a nice little, hey, you know, her hand has that and then that moves into more. I had also never noticed it before, but I just recently got the... um... I think it's called the Evil Dead Legacy Collection or something. It's got Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, and all mm. of Ash versus Evil Dead in it. And it's like mm. a total remaster. And I had never noticed it until I watched it on that disc. I was like, oh. Yeah. So very cool um, foreshadowing, <laughs> as it were. Um, so now we're having dinner, and we basically learn that Ash sucks ass at making toasts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, boom, the cellar pops up, and... Um, Something that I did really feel here is the music really gave off a hammer horror vibe, in my opinion. I can see that. Um, the gang discuss the cellar, and Cheryl thinks it's an animal. Scotty thinks that that's dumb. I agree. Scotty tells Cheryl to go down and uh, check before checking himself. Back in a minute. We'll be right back. Right. Um, to this really quick trip down to Michigan. The cellar. The cellars in Michigan. Yes, I'm aware. Yes. <laughs> so let's talk about that. Let's the shooting locations uh, for this. The cabin is actually I forget the city is actually in Tennessee. I think it was a, was it Morrison Town or Morrisonville or something like that. I, I yeah, believe it's an M word. <laughs> yeah, but it was in Tennessee, and then uh, yeah, the the basement or the cellar was was it Rob Tapert's? It was a family member of one of the crew, cast and crew. First, so let's establish. Is it tapered or tapered? I thought it was tapered. Oh, I thought it was tapered. I believe it's tapered. Tomato, tomato. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so one thing you will notice, though, with the cellar is you're in this dilapidated cabin in the woods, and then there's brand new ductwork in the, roof, in the ceiling of the cellar. And two, um, there's one thing I, I was telling Rob earlier is uh, you'll notice that, yes, they walk up the stairs partially, but if you see them walk past the stairs, that's because they're actually walking through the stairs or behind the stairs because they cannot go up. Checks out. (laughs) Um, So I have here, why the hell is Ash's voice echoing so much while yelling down into the cellar? The cellar is not that big. There's not enough room or area for the sound to bounce off of to create that much of an echo. I mean, obviously, it's done for dramatic effect. I know that. I'm not an idiot, but... Sometimes I have to nitpick, even when right. I love a, a, a film. So that's what it is. Scotty is not answering, and Shelly thinks he's kidding around. Ash asks for the lantern from Linda and goes after him. Uh, there's a cool shot of Ash looking from Michigan back up into Tennessee at the girls. <laughs> Eventually, Ash gets scared by Scotty, who wants to show him a Hills Have Eyes poster. Nice. Which we should probably do an episode of the Hills Have Eyes, just 
Yeah, I'm down with that. Just saying. Um, they find a shotgun, the Necronomicon, the Kandarian dagger, and a recorder. Scotty quips that it looks like Ash's old girlfriend, and they both laugh. And I had this thought at this point. What if this movie went into a different direction? What if Ash and Scotty are actually serial killers and necrophiliacs, and they brought the girls up here to kill them? They were just way too comfortable with that joke. Interesting take. <laughs> so, yeah, but, but one thing I kept noting, and I put in notes that I sent to you, was I never realized how much of a dick Scotty is. Yeah, he's a real asshole. Yeah. Speaking of how much of an asshole he is, I swear to God, in the next scene when he goes up there, mm-hmm. there is a background line. I swear he jokes about punching one of the girls in the face. What's <laughs> off of the heels about, you know, Ash's dead girlfriend or old girlfriend mm-hmm. who was apparently a skeleton. Like, right. maybe they are psychos. Well, by the end of the movie, I'm sure that they will be. The gang then plays the Nobi team. Yep. So what do you got on Professor Nobi there, Stanky? So Professor Nobi was actually voiced by Bob Dorian, host of American Movie Classics. So I thought that was actually kind of a cool thing, you know, a little bring some validity and legit legitimateness. Legitimateness? Legitimacy? Legitimacy. Is that the word you're looking for? Symbolism. Symbology. We are really <laughs> struggling with words today. Wordiology. Uh, right. <laughs> I think we're just a little, uh, we're a little, um, Again, I'm struggling with the word here. <laughs> We're a little uh, rattled by the uh, the Zoom machine here, completely mm-hmm. fucking up our flow. But uh, but yeah, no, that led some that added some legitimacy to the film. To have somebody like that voicing, even if it's just minor stuff for the tapes, yeah. it was really cool. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of like um, you know getting uh, uh, Donald Pleasance in Halloween in that sense, mm. you know. Oh yeah. Like having somebody known, whether it just be for a little bit recording or whatever. Right. Um, so the tape basically gives us exposition as to how the Necronomicon works. Cheryl freaks and turns it off. They decide basically fuck Cheryl and they continue playing the tape. And the professor recites the incantation. Cheryl is terrified and a tree slams through the window. Ash and Scotty argue about the tape and Scotty storms off. He does that a lot. Yeah, he does. Um, he's got real anger management issues. This guy. Like you can tell between the two guys, he's the alpha because Mm -hmm. Ash is kind of a pussy for the most part. But we'll we'll talk about that. Um, So we cut to Ash being romantic with Linda, uh, wanting to listen to the storm. Linda wants to check on Cheryl first. She comes back and Ash is quote unquote sleeping and holding Mm -hmm. a jewelry box. Uh, She tries to get it from from him, but he quote unquote wakes up and gives it to her. The necklace uh, is just a necklace with a magnifying glass. Linda loves it. And quote, we'll never take it off. Mm. So the thing about the necklace is the, the actual original necklace got lost. And they had to get a replacement necklace, but they could only find it in gold. So they spray painted it silver. Mm. And in the scene where Linda's like first gets it, if you look closely, you can see the silver spray paint coming off in her hands. Yeah, I, I read that. That's pretty funny. And also uh, the box changes multiple times between the time that he pulls it out and hands it to her. Continuity, when you have barely have a budget, is just thrown out the window. Basically. So now we're in Deadite Cam mode, which is this the first Deadite Cam? Technically, no, because the uh, first Deadite Cam was the intro. When it opened but, a bit, yeah. Yeah. But this is the first real one. Yes. Since they play the incantation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's looking through the windows in the house. First, we see Ash and Linda, and then Scotty and Shelly, and then Cheryl by herself brushing her hair. Join us. She looks out the window. She bundles up and goes outside and asks if anyone's out there and goes looking through the woods. 
Yeah, because that's a perfectly logical thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a horror movie. Logic, mm. much like continuity on a shoestring budget, is thrown out the window. Um, I have here, holy shit, the moon is huge. Also, it disappears. Why have I never noticed this before? So, Papa Stank, tell me why I never noticed this before. Well, because the moon was actually superimposed in for the uh, final shots, and it was, again, a continuity error where it kind of came in and went out. So if you look closely, you can actually see a different color square around the moon where the, the uh, effect was done. I just, I, again, I don't know if it's because of the high-def version that I have now. Just never noticed it before. Yeah, it's funny. You know? So slowly the trees begin to come to life, and we get more, you know, Deadite Cam, which was actually called the Force, I believe, is how they... Mm -hmm. Referred right. to it, not to be confused with Star Wars, but it was called The Force. Um, right. Vines wrap around Cheryl, and this leads to the infamous tree scene. So let's talk about the trees. So the trees, it was all done, as you can kind of tell, it was all shot in reverse. So they initially wrapped her up and then slowly pulled them off while shooting. Um, I didn't see anything where it was sped up or slowed down to make the effect more dramatic, but... Uh, yeah, so it was shot in reverse. This, the, most of them were most likely uh, latex-covered metal skeletons that you know made in the trees or the wireframe or whatever. Yeah, the wireframe. Some of it also looked like it was possibly just from like Michaels or you know some sort of like shrubbery that you would get shrubbery from. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what that store. was, but we're gonna leave it in. <laughs> oh, Monty Python. Bring us a shrubbery. Not a Monty Python. Fair enough. Um, however, this scene is one of Raimi's biggest regrets. Um, him and Taper, when they were doing, I believe it was the premiere for part two, that he actually brought up that he regretted taking it as far as he did. It wasn't initially supposed to be a rape scene. It turned into that because he just kept wanting to push. He wanted to hammer the audience in the face. And yeah, well, I mean, when you're when you're 21 years old, first time filmmaker, you want to do what you can do to shock mm -hmm. the audience, especially in this genre. Right. Um, so yeah, I could see how he would regret that. I mean, because I, I just have right here in my notes, this scene is still as unsettling today as the very first time I saw it. Right. So Cheryl breaks free and she runs off, but the force is following her. She makes it back to the cabin, but the door is locked and no one hears her scream. She finds the keys on top of the door. And I have to wonder why the hell did they put the keys back on top of the door? It makes no sense. Yeah, well, you unlock the door, right? Right, and then you go mm -hmm. in. You have the keys with you. Like when they we went to West Virginia, we got the key out of the, the slot, and we unlocked the door and went in with the keys. We didn't put the key back in the slot. We had the right. keys. Yeah. Again, the key is not the first key she uses, uh, which is kind of a cliche in this sense of the horror film. Um, she drops them, then Ash opens the door and lets her in. Uh, the demon makes a real sad face noise <laughs> at this point. It's like an oh. <laughs> Ash asks what happens, and Cheryl says the woods themselves did this, and she wants to leave. Mm -hmm. No one else wants to leave. Cheryl wants to go to town. Ash obliges, but the Delta sucks and won't start. And I just want to note, getting back to the Evil Dead game, when you're driving Delta, you can only hit like three things and it breaks down. That's awesome. It's terrible. <laughs> I will experience that soon. Cheryl says uh, it won't let them leave, and then the car starts. They approach the bridge, Ash stops the car and gets out. He tells Cheryl to stay put, and then he disappears into the fog. Really, once again, awesome sound design here. Mm. Uh, and I feel like the sound design in this movie, it doesn't get as much love as it should just because of every other groundbreaking thing in the movie. But the sound design is really, really good. Um, Cheryl doesn't stay put, and she walks off looking for Ash. 
Uh, she comes up to the bridge, which is bent up and broken, and she runs back to the car to find Ash. Now, there's not really a wide shot for the bridge like there was, I believe, in Evil Dead 2, where it's kind of meant to be like a hand yeah. clawed up. But I think that's what he was going for anyway. Right. But budget constraints, mainly. Right, right. Um, she tells Ash, it's not going to let us go. There's a really cool shot of her losing her shit in the headlights of the Delta, which kind of reminded me of the cover of like Batman Year One. Hmm. So um, we cut back to the cabin. Ash is listening to the Nobi tapes on a, a headset. The professor is talking about dismembering his wife. Meanwhile, Linda is playing a guessing game with Shelly with cards. She's guessing everything incorrectly. And Shelly's like, oh, you're great. But she thinks she has ESP. Um, the only thing that this is really here for, other than to have Ash completely dismiss her, which I thought was hilarious, is to set up Cheryl going full Deadite when she starts. Oh, yeah. It's really creepy. It's still really creepy when she starts saying what the cards are. Mm-hmm. Um, seems awesome. One by one, we will take you. And she collapses to the floor. Scotty comes in with an axe. What happened to her? Did you see her eyes? Let's talk about the eyes. So the eyes are what they call sclera contacts. I'm not sure if that's the name that they used back then, but that's what they're used as now. They're full eye covering contact lenses. But back then, you look in 1981, you know, 41 years ago, different materials, different, you know, overall. Scleras can be used now for few hours at a time but you have to take them out because they cover the eye so much that your eye, can't, your eye can't breathe back then it took over 10 minutes to apply them and they can only wear them for 15 minutes at a time and you had a note that i'm going to kind of steal because i had the same note which was bruce campbell went on record stating wearing those contacts it was like looking through tupperware so basically when these actors and actresses were wearing them they were practically blind and trying their best that's why some of the walking looks so stiff and strange and it's not because they were acting it's because they literally couldn't see so imagine trying to shoot a film in 15 minute blocks right with 10 with 10 to 15 minute breaks in between right yeah so uh, very interesting but you know it, it's a common effect that's done nowadays they use a lot of cg just because it's safer but yeah scleric contacts are just badass yeah i think they're the same kind of contacts that michael jackson used on the thriller video were they not so yeah yeah so um ash kneels down and reaches for cheryl but cheryl grabs a pencil and stabs linda in the ankle with it let's talk about the sound effects on this this little ankle gag here it was very complicated and very difficult to pull off they took an apple and they stabbed it with a pencil (laughs) and then they moved the pencil around they give it that like sound and there we go there's a stab of an ankle okay there it was (laughs) Scotty tries to to stop Cheryl, who has thrown Ash into a bookshelf. Not the first time this is going to happen. Nope. She quickly disposes of Scotty, but he makes a baby face comeback and throws her in the cellar and locks it. Obviously, that's a dummy head. Let's talk about that real quick. Yeah. Out of all the effects in the movie, and I mean, for what they are, Tom Sullivan and Sam Raimi agreed that they were not going for realism. But that dummy head is just bad. It looks like somebody took a balloon, threw a bunch of paper mache on it, and stuck it on a stick. Maybe they did. It's quite possible with the budget constraints they had, but yeah, it, it's a great effect because it, it, it's part of what makes it unintentionally funny, but still effective. So, so from here we get an outside shot to transition to Ash checking on Linda. Uh, there's a nice point of view of Cheryl looking at Scotty and Shelley. Uh, Scotty says, "Ash, I think we ought to get out of here." No shit, Scotty. No shit. Uh, the scene's cool. 
I keep saying her eyes, her eyes for God's. I'm sorry, it's not him. It's Shelly that says uh, her eyes, her eyes for God's sake. What happened to her eyes? The force is then approaching the cabin and begins stalking uh, the windows. Shelly looks out of her window and it smashes through and she screams. Let's talk about this window effect. So the window effect is part of the whole thing that made the camera work in Evil Dead so revolutionary at the time. Um, they couldn't afford a dolly and they did what they called a ramacam smash cam. Um, and it was a rig that was made by two by fours that allowed two people to carry the camera, one on both sides. And it gave it that flying, that movement that, that you see, like in the beginning, the opening, when it's going over the water, they're in two dinghies and just floating across the water as they're holding this and doing all the stuff. It was a little shaky and they just said, well, that's the force, you know, that's the power of that force. Uh, so the Ram cam smash cam was allowed them to actually just push it straight through a real window and break the window and not damage the camera and gave it an effect. It was just super cool. It's, it's, it's cool when you play it as the, um, the demons in the video game, the main like um, lead demon is in first person. And it's, it's that camera as you move around. It's pretty cool. Cool. Um, So after the window breaks, Scotty very slowly goes to look for her and finds nothing but a broken window and the fog. He's actually relatively calm about all this. Also, I don't think Ash moved at all when the window broke. Scotty hears a noise and he checks the closet. He finds nothing. He checks the bathroom and looks in the shower. Nothing. Also, it looked like there was just like yellow tarps for walls here. Yeah, I, I looked like I thought it was just paper. It could be tarps, paper. It's, yeah, it's I, very I weird. Like I, I looked for something on it and couldn't find anything. I was like, okay, maybe the bathroom just sucks. Yeah, I couldn't either. It was either just old dilapidated wallpaper coming down, or they were trying to make something look like a bathroom. It wasn't really a bathroom because you got to think this. Cabin, that might be it. This cabin in the woods also had no electric because it literally was just a cabin. So right. very possible that they just brought in an old tub and shower curtain and just tried to mock up a bathroom. So Shelly attacks him from behind. They stumble into the living room. Scotty dumps her into the fireplace, and Ash still barely reacts. Scotty pulls her out, and she thanks him for it, and then attacks. Cheryl's going absolutely ape shit in the basement. She's having a real hoot. Uh, Ash gets dumped into another bookcase, and Shelly tries to burn Scotty, and then tries to stab him with a dagger. Scotty gets the gets his knife out and cuts Shelly's wrist. Shelly then pulls back and bites her own hand off, which is awesome. Yes. Scotty grabs the hand holding the dagger and stabs Shelly in the back. Shelly loudly collapses to the floor, but she is not dead. When Shelly makes that noise, it's the sound register they use. And this is in a lot of the sound design of this movie. I don't know about you, but it always makes me sick to my stomach. Some of the, some of the tones and note, notation they use, mm-hmm. it's borderline fever inducing, inducing to me. Like, I don't know if you've ever noticed that before, but when she rears her head back, it's like, ah, I just, I can't stomach the sound she makes. Never had an issue with it. Yeah. I just think it's all really great sound design. I know it is. And that's what I'm saying. But I think that I, I wonder, and I couldn't find anything on it, if they did that on purpose, if they use that in a way, because you know, there are certain, you know, notations that can actually invoke emotion, anxiety, right. sickness. Right. But I, I just thought, I always thought that was cool. I didn't know if anybody, if anybody else out there experiences that, let us know. I'm curious. Shelly rises again and approaches Scotty and Ash. Scotty wants Ash to hit her, but he's frozen. Scotty takes the axe that Ash has and he dismembers her. You love her was one of the things that I could hear Deadite Shelly yelling as Scotty chops mm. her bits. Uh, all the body parts are on the floor convulsing. And my favorite bit of dialogue in this movie, Scott, yeah, what are we going to do? 
We're going to bury her. We can't bury Shelly. She's a friend of ours. Love it. Yep. Absolutely love it. The guys drag her, her parts out to bury her. Ash falls down on the way up because Ash. Back in the house, Ash says Linda is sleeping. Scotty wants to leave. Ash doesn't want to leave Linda. Scotty is a total dickhead and wants to abandon them and then does. Yeah, let's uh, let's walk back to town in the dark, in an unfamiliar area with a demon in the woods that are alive, killing your friends. Checks out. Yeah, very wise decision. Cheryl taunts Ash in the basement. Ash checks on Linda and looks at her ankle. She is now evil Linda. Evil Linda. So uh, one cool thing with the ankle, Ash, this is one effect that I just love in this movie because, again, all the stop-motion animation, they did, the, they did that veining where you just see it come out and spider out. And um, that was all done with by hand with stop motion animation camera and just he go in a little extra, a little extra, a little extra. And I just thought that was really cool. So Scotty shows back up for a jump scare and he's completely beat to shit to the surprise of absolutely no one. And Linda's sitting in the middle of the floor and cackling like a psycho. I always love that. <laughs> like the, the Linda's just sitting there and she's all happy and cackling. Mm. Scotty says it's not going to let us leave and they're all going to die. Ash disagrees. And I'm curious as to why Ash has not tried to restrain Linda with anything. He's just like, no, she's fine. Just leave her sitting there. Nothing bad could happen. Foreshadowing. Ash asks uh, Scotty if there's another way out other than the bridge. Scotty says there's a trail, but the trees know. Um, Scotty was only gone for like four and a half seconds. How has he found a trail? I digress. It's fine. I can live with it. Yeah. Cheryl is taunting. So is Linda. Scotty's face starts bleeding out. Ash wants Linda to shut up, but she wants her. He smacks her around a bit. She doesn't stop. Scotty wants him to kill her. Cheryl taunts some more. Ash grabs the shotgun, but can't. Deadite Linda reverts back to normal Linda and asks Ash to help. Ash drops the gun and he can't shoot her. Then Deadite Cheryl reverts back to normal Cheryl and asks Ash to let her out. And this is all just her voice. She's not actually there, which I imagine is because of scheduling or just the, the length of the shoot. This begins Ash's slow descent into madness. As Ash leans towards the cellar door, uh, hands pop up from the floor and they grab him. And he yells, why are you torturing me like this? Why? Linda begins to laugh again. She does the whole, we're going to get you, which is awesome. Ash descent into madness. It was like he was high the whole time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, I did see that interview with Bruce Campbell where he, uh, he claimed yeah. that. Well, it wasn't just that. In the beginning scene when they were smoking in the cabin, they were actually smoking real marijuana, according to multiple accounts. That checks out. And they had to reshoot most of the scenes because they couldn't actually perform. That checks out. I mean, Ash was, the Bruce Campbell was only, what, 20 years old when they filmed this? Something like that, yeah. <laughs> um, Ash drags her outside, and she tells him it's uh, useless. I really like the lighting in, in all of the outside stuff. Um, he leaves her, like, in just like, this one spot of light. Everything else is dark. Again, mm. kind of invokes, like, again, this happened before year one, but... The cover of Batman Year One. It just, I love the hard spotlight and darkness around it kind of effect. Um, and I got to wonder, what does he think just dragging her outside and leaving there is going to, leaving her there is going to do? Right. Like he does nothing. He doesn't restrain her. Just go outside. Back in the house, Ash is giving Scotty, who is likely dead, some water. And it's just kind of like running out of his mouth. He says they're all going to go home in the morning. I mean, they're not, but Ash seems to think they are. Uh, this is capped off by Linda cackling from somewhere. Ash looks outside, and Linda is in the house. She stabs him with the dagger and then licks the blood off. Always a super cool scene there. Mm. Uh, Ash and Linda tussle about. Cheryl reaches out to the cellar to grab Ash's ankle. 
Ash pushes Linda down onto the dagger. Cool shot of Ash dragging Linda across the floor here, where the camera starts at Scotty, and it just pans the entire drag past Cheryl across the floor. So then Ash takes Linda out to the shed and gets a chainsaw, and he can't do it when he looks at the necklace he gave her. Let's talk about this chainsaw scene. So because of, again, time constraints and budget constraints, this was a real chainsaw with a real chain, really running, really being held right over Betsy Baker. And if you look closely when they do the close-up shot of the necklace, you can actually see her pulse racing because she was so scared. Well, I'm sure she's tensing up because there's a goddamn chainsaw above me. Yeah, so that was not fake. <laughs> yeah. So he instead uh, decides to bury her with Shelly, which that was a poor decision to actually slash why? Because Linda wakes up. This scene right here, I thought, was just purposefully paralleling the sleeping ash scene from earlier. I would read that. Um, while all of this is going on, Cheryl's going nuts in the cellar door. Just want to point out here, much like um, in Pumpkinhead, this is not a regulation gravesite. But Ash gets a pass because he's technically not even a cemetery. Correct. Uh, he reaches down to get the necklace, which is now in the grass, and Linda digs herself up and claws at Ash's legs. Ash beats a fake Shemp Linda with a bit of wood, but she overpowers him and throws him into the grave. As she begins to pounce on him, Ash grabs a shovel and cuts her head off. Um, her body's still on him, clawing, spewing blood all over him. Her head's cackling beside them. Ash gets free. He leaves her there and goes back to the cabin where we discover that Cheryl's gotten out of the cellar. Shit. Ash gets a shotgun. He goes to check a uh, closet, but she pops out near the window. Ash fights her off and fires out into the darkness. Cheryl tries to get back in, but Ash smashes her hand and barricades the door. A lot of really cool music here. Mm-hmm. Really cool sound design again. It's very frantic. Yeah. So let's talk about the gunshot. So the gunshot slash gun in general, uh, they did use a real shotgun purchased by Bruce Campbell at a local Kmart. And um, they used real ammunition for a good portion of the film. So when you see him shoot the window and that hole just appears, that was a shotgun shell being shot through a window. Um, when you see him shooting the dummy Linda and dummy Cheryl, that's all real shotgun shells going into a dummy. So things you don't do on set, use live ammunition. Safety first. At this point, Ash decides to go to Michigan, so he goes into the cellar, and he proceeds to fall down the steps because Ash. Of course. Uh, there's a tied-off pipe that's leaking blood, and the pipe bursts and sprays blood all over him. Cool shot of the outlet dripping blood. I love Light that bulb filling mm. up with blood as well as projector and recorder playing, um, all doing their things. The entire basement sequence here is an homage to a 1940s Three Stooges skit entitled A Plumbing We Will Go. That saw these stooges trying to evade police by pretending to be plumbers. Naturally, they destroyed the entire plumbing system of the home. The skit had the water leaking from the pipes, the sockets, and even filling a light bulb. So it's so funny. Very uh, beat for beat homage to that skit. Nice. Linda taunts and Ash yells, shut up, Linda, which I think is just great. It's just, it's, it's like they're just arguing. It's right. like Ash cannot handle the reality of the situation. It's like he's just like, shut up. Mm-hmm. Not like you're a demon. It's just like he's telling him, leave me alone, basically. Uh, the projector blows up. The record player dies. The light bulb blows up. Pipes run dry. Ass walks to a puddle of blood that has a Band-Aid box floating in them. Yeah, and it was actually uh, done on purpose by Raimi as a dark humor of, like, here's a Band-Aid to fix it. It was an old vintage uh, metal Band-Aid box that could float and was watertight. Sam Raimi has a uh, twisted sense of humor. I love mm-hmm. it. The clock is chiming and then stops. 
there is a really, really great shot of the camera coming over Ash's head and then down onto his face. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, I mean, there's just great shots throughout this whole movie. Oh, yeah. Camera placement for all this is superb. Ash checks another room, and then the deadite cam slash force cam speeds to him. He slams the door and turns around, and it's an iconic shot of him turning with um, mm. just how it's lit. Yeah, mm. it's awesome. Uh, everything's going nuts. The shutters are slamming. There's this rhythmic beating. Ash reaches for his reflection. His hand goes through the mirror like it's liquid, and he screams. And this uh, this effect still holds up today. So, oh yeah, let's talk about the mirror. Yeah, I love it. I keep wanting to go into Evil Dead Two versus Evil Dead One, but I I will leave that for my final synopsis and rating. But um, you know, the mirror effect in this I do believe is better than the mirror effect in Part Two, where they used a double because this was just so perfect. You you had a pot of water or something, a basin of water with a frame around it, and shot just over the shoulder with him facing down perfectly, where it was still and it looked like a reflection, and just that that reach into the water just is such a good sell. Yeah, it's uh again I. I said it still holds up today. That is just such a, a creative and cool effect. Um, Ash is 100% losing his mind here. He hears footsteps and noises. He's talking to himself. And he finds the necklace that he gave Linda in his pocket. At this point, everything goes silent. There's a very brief moment of reflection before Cheryl reaches to the door and grabs him. Ash shoots her in the face. Scotty rises in deadite form. But Ash pokes his eyes out. So let's talk about the, the gunshot to the face and the eye gouge here. All right. So the gunshot to the face. And it's funny because if you look closely, you can actually see the blood tube spurting blood on Cheryl there, which I always thought was really cool. Um, I, I noticed that even back one of the first times I watched it, but again, it goes to budget constrictions and everything else. The gunshot to the face, if this is one I'm remembering, it was a dummy that got shot in the face, but then it cut back to the real Linda with the blood spurting, which is really cool. Um, the eye gouge. And I read something. Finally, I, I got an answer to something I've always noticed. I always thought Scotty looked like a dog. The way Tom Sullivan did his makeup, he had the black like puppy dog nose with the sunken in eyes. That was on purpose. And that's because Tom Sullivan said Scotty was a dog for doing what he did, running out on them, always being the person to be the asshole. And I read that in an interview this morning. I was like, yes, I can finally put that to rest. That's super cool. I never, never put that together. Yep. Apparently that was a thing. He based everyone's makeup around their personality, hence Linda was the bubbly happy so she looked like a doll with the doll baby makeup that's really cool yeah so he purposely designed each person's makeup based off the character's personality that's awesome yeah that's that's, yeah yeah because uh, all the deadites in the movie are like all the possessions are unique but very Mm -hmm. samey like you believe it's the same entity yeah but they all look like a character like a specific like different character right and then uh the eye gal which has always been one of my favorite effects in the movie so we tried to do it in territory too, but with our budgetary constraints and time, um, we we faked it. So the way you can fake it is to put a lot of gore in the eye socket and kind of pull your thumbs in to make it look like they're going in. But they were able to pull it off where they actually had a full fake head that were hollowed out eyes, blood tubes and grossness in the back. So he could physically put his thumbs straight into the eye sockets. And it just, it sells so well because it was one of the best likenesses and faces that was made for the film. Right. And it almost looked like they were really doing it. And I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, I was going to say that like this, this full head is definitely uh, markedly better than the balloon head from earlier. Yes. So, <laughs> um, so just then Ash notices the Necronomicon is near the fire and part of it has actually caught a flame. He puts two and two together, finally, just as Cheryl busts in. He and Scotty are on the floor struggling Ash can't reach the book. 
Cheryl's beating them with a poker. Uh, Ash gets the necklace. He's able to kind of like attach it to the book. And then he tosses it into the fire. Cheryl stops in place and drops the poker. Mm. She starts to twitch and decompose. And Scotty starts to as well. I have here, and because I'm still a kid when I watch this movie, man. It's still right. one of my favorite movies. Fuck, this is awesome. These are the kind of effects I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm just, I, I, every time I watch this, it takes me back to the first time I saw it. Um, there's a lot of moaning and creaking. There's further decomposition. Hands burst out of the bodies. Fluids mm-hmm. are everywhere. There's bugs. There's slime. There's, mm-hmm. you know what it looks like? A cream of corn, actually. Okay, well, yeah. lay it on me, man. Take apart this scene. So um, I read into a lot of what Tim, Tom Sullivan said about uh, the stop motion and um, obviously the clay and everything else the way they did it, but they were able to get Madagascar hissing cockroaches from Michigan State University to actually have running out of everything. They used mixtures of kerosene, cream of corn, oatmeal, um, foam latex, latex, pretty much anything they could get their hands on that just looked gross to do this. Again, the multicolored bloods, the 2% milk, um, just it, it was amazing. And outside of being difficult for stop motion, cheap, you know, and it was so effective. Um, you know, melting you can do with gelatin where you put it under a heat lamp or a heat gun and physically melt it in and you shoot it in a way where you speed the film up and it melts quick. I thought that's what they did here. No, it was 100% stop motion. So every little movement of that clay had to be changed as they snapshot 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 mm-hmm. and um yeah that's one thing that he's very proud of is just that whole scene and then again the foam latex covered arms that come out which are as i stated earlier tom sullivan's arms being able to pop out of the corpses and pour everything back in it's a really cool scene man I, it's me being a big fan of like the, the splatter flicks from the 80s like i love the multicolored gore stuff like like mm-hmm. with this and like films like street trash and shit like that Huge fan of that stuff. Wow, we're almost done. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. I just the movie. If I'm in the wrong mood, this movie feels like it drags and takes forever. But when I'm in the right mood, which I was when I watched this the other day, and how I feel right now, like you forget how quick it can go by and how much fun it can be. Go by quick, but we're not quite there yet. We hear the demon utter, "Join us one more time." As Ash gets up, you get some somber music playing. Ash looks at the now just ticking clock. Looks at the necklace. The sun rises. The, his nightmare is finally over. He walks out on the porch. He's covered in blood. Birds are chirping. The sun's bright in the sky. And then it begins to set again. And the music kind of turns to a little more dark, ominous tone as Ash is walking away from the cabin. The force begins traveling through the woods at the back of the cabin, through the back of the cabin, through the entire house, out the front door and into Ash. Cut the black the Charleston, which is an old jazz song, begins to play over the credits and it grinds down to just the wind. Mm. The last sound we hear in the credits is the sound of flies, which is also uh, how the remake opened. Mm. And that is the Evil Dead, man. So lay it on me, man. What did you think? I mean, this is one of my first... I I still remember the first time I saw this, um, I was in high school. We had this sleepover and we just went to Blockbuster and started renting shit. And um, my ex said, oh, there was this movie I remember. It was so funny called The Evil Dead. We should get it. So we rented it. And I'm sitting here going, where's the humor? You know, there are there's dark humor. There's humor that's unintentional. 
she remembered Evil Dead too, which we had discussions before. That's what most people remember. And even while re-watching this, and I've seen this movie a hundred and some times, you cannot help but think the next scene is going to be from Evil Dead too, even though it's not that because they're shot so close in tone and everything, except for the splat stick versus the more gore effect. I love both. They stand very well. You know, they've held up very well over the years. But there's just something about this first one, especially somebody who does low budget filmmaking, that it just you appreciate it more, you know, and I agree with you. I would give it a 9.5 out of 10 to 10. Like I can forgive all the continuity errors. I can forgive the different hair lengths. I can forgive all that. Um, One of the first movies I ever worked on was called Blood Seduction. Um, I played a rookie cop and then I couldn't grow facial hair. Your mustache. And right. (laughs) Well, we didn't have the budget to buy multiple mustaches, so they kept having to glue this mustache on me. And throughout the film, because nothing is shot in line, it's all shot at different times, the mustache goes from being poofy to looking almost like a piece of cardboard because the amount of adhesive that was being that put on The mustache was fucking terrible. <laughs> so, so, yeah, like I, I can understand and respect that. And I can, I can look at that and not go, oh, these people, I can't believe they did that. No, I look at it and say, I understand. And it's just fun. Um, so much stuff came out of it. And we got so many great Sam Raimi movies from since then. You know, Sam Raimi, Ted Raimi, Bruce Campbell, all the people involved are so iconic now. And the fact that, that Sam Raimi is such a prominent Hollywood director and he came from this origin is just amazing to me. I, I mean, love yeah, it. He just released a... Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness from Marvel. Yep. Evil Dead is getting ready to have Evil Dead Rise drop on HBO Max. Um, As far as for me, Evil Dead, even though you spoiled my writing, um, (laughs) it's funny that, you know, I agree a lot. Well, a lot of people remember about Evil Dead doesn't actually come from Evil Dead. It comes from Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I feel like Evil Dead is a product of its time. It's a unique balance of Humor, unintentional as it was, horror, suspense, innovative camera work and special effects. I think it's a perfect example of not letting your budget dictate your vision, uh, which was something that George Romero was very big on. Um, there was a quote he had during the production of Day of the Dead that I, the life of me could not find where he, he t- doesn't talk about the evil dead, obviously, but right. he, he talks about not letting your budget dictate your vision. You know, write the screenplay, write the film that you want to do and then figure out how to do it. Right. Um, it's a very groundbreaking film. A lot of techniques that Raimi employed didn't exist yet. Um, Stephen King once said that while he was watching the film at Cannes, he was, quote, registering things that he had never seen in a movie before. While Evil Dead definitely shows its age, it is as close to a perfect horror film as one could get, in my opinion. And I absolutely give it a 10 out of 10. So with that said, it was great to have you back there, Stank. Um, Guys, please, you know, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, five-star review, write a review, um, follow, follow us on YouTube, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram. Uh, links are everywhere on all of our stuff. I'm not going to repeat them right now. Um, we will we will see you for another episode in a couple of weeks here. Uh, in between that, I'll have an episode of Kaiju Cast up. Um, so in the meantime, I will catch on the flip side. Okay.